This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 13. This is Writing Excuses, character voice. 15 minutes long. <laughs> because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say none of us can compete with Mary, but that was pretty good. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to dig deep and find out if the walking pneumonia still had some damage lurking down there in my... In my uh... So we have covered some character voice aspects before. In fact, Mary was going to catch you up to date on that. Right. So if you go listen to season 12, we have an entire episode where we are talking about character voice and the differences between uh, the author voice and character voice and narrative voice. And we break it down into basically three types. There's the mechanical, which is things like first person, second person. There's the aesthetic, which is what the voice kind of sounds like. And then there's the personal voice, which is the stuff that the writer themselves brings to the table based on their lived experience. And we spent a lot of time on personal voice in that episode. Right. Uh, we want to talk about aesthetic voice here. What the characters specifically sound like, their voices uh, this is the year where we're talking a lot about character, and the characters' voices are going to be the one of the main ways that you characterize them. Yeah, so there's a couple of different things that uh, that I think you should be aware of as you, as we are moving through this, and that's that the amount that your character voice uh, expresses itself on the page is going to vary project by project. So you're going to have to kind of tweak this depending on what you have. So there's the thing where uh, you really only hear the character voice when they are speaking and yep. the narrator is fairly neutral. Then there's a tight third person or first person where you have the character voice both with their dialogue and in the narration. Um, and then there's other things where, you know, that voice is going to shift from uh, from chapter to chapter. There's a lot of different variations on that. You know, that. when I've felt, at least my perspective, is a lot of people who do even a first or a third person narrative, when you're in narrative itself, as opposed to dialogue, when you're in the paragraph by paragraph, that the character voice is coloring that, but it's not completely in voice. It's like you do a half version mm -hmm. of the character's voice in descriptions. And then when they're in dialogue, you go full into their voice. And that, I think that's just kind of a thing mechanically we do a lot of the times. Yeah. And it's funny that it's one of those things that I actually wind up replicating a lot when I am doing, um, doing audiobooks, because the way, uh, the way we speak when we are kind of talking to ourselves versus when we are addressing someone else is different. And that's something that I think happens on the page to a certain degree. Uh, I can't quite do it here because <laughs> for those of you watching the video feed, our microphones are on our foreheads with, uh, but <laughs> you can't lean into the mic. I can't lean into the mic, but the, the way I would do it on, on the page would be something like, um, she stared at the walls, wondering what she was going to do. Hey, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And it's it's a little bit of a pitch, but it also makes means bringing the character, the the specific attributes of the aesthetic voice more to the forefront. The um, the rhythms and the pacings and the word choices and the sentence structures that the character will employ. So let's just break into this and try to try to I guess dig into it. I um, have a I have a couple of shortcuts. And okay. one of them is, how does this character curse? 
Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I am not allowed to have my characters express their distaste all in the same way, because then they all become the same person. Uh, how does this character, how does this character praise someone? Um, that's actually a, an easy example for me to list. Uh, in Schlock Mercenary, both Captain Tagon and his dad, uh, when someone has done something well, they will say, outstanding, because that's kind of the military voice. When the doctor is in a position where she would say outstanding, she will say, oh, nice, or maybe excellent, depending on the sort of thing that it is. And I have a rule. She will never say outstanding unless for some reason she's parroting someone else's dialogue or that's a word that fits in some other way. And I find that that sort of rule with with the three-syllable, four-syllable words um, you can come up pretty quickly with a list of things that are unique to these characters that the other characters just wouldn't use that word. You know, I, um, I'm doing a book series right now where the main character is from Iona, Idaho, which is a small Mormon town in southern Idaho. And her thing is Mormon curses. Yep. I love Mormon curses <laughs> so much. If you are not so from fetching much. the area, that, like <laughs> fetch got popular because it was like in one of that, that movie or something like that. But there are so many of them. Scrud is a big one. People use scrud and oh my heck. They, people, like it's mm-hmm. just natural. My kids all say it. If they're surprised, they say, oh my heck. And it's like, it's this thing that is just normal I've grown up with. But if you go outside of Utah, Idaho, yeah. little bubble and you say that, people are like, did, did, did you say oh my heck? Heck, yeah. Um, I'm like, because I don't say, oh my, that's well, you know what the tough kids in Utah mm-hmm. say, yeah. Oh my hell, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and it's, it's true. It, they do. That's they so do. cute. I know it is. But see, I'm sitting here going, you know, it, this gives a whole new meaning to to my novels, my Jane Austen novels, where someone says, "What a fetching hat." Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you, this character voice has been a very natural one for me to write and very interesting and very different and very distinctive. Um, but, and it's something very simple. It doesn't like intrude a lot. Um, you, you drop one of these every chapter or two and it's a reminder, oh, this, is, this character's from a specific rural community um, and they, they speak in a specific way without going into like a huge dialect with lots of apostrophes and things like this. Um, and it's been great. It's been a real delight to do it. I, I'm doing the, the book in first person, and so I can drop them in and things like that, and people can make fun of them. Um, it's just a, a delight. I actually, I think I put some of the chapters up on the Patreon um, under the random hat for people, so a little plug for our Patreon there. Um, but these sorts of things are so much fun. In the previous yeah. series I did, the character was just bad at metaphors. And these are both amusing ones, right, because I'm writing these kind of action-adventure fun um, books, and so he would just make terrible, terrible, terrible metaphors all the time. Um, I loved but those. <laughs> this sort of thing that you can put textually, I find, is a lot more powerful. Um, and again, you don't have to do just amusing ones. Um, to give your characters a distinctive voice, a distinctive way of seeing the world, to not just do the same old, same old. The one that really bugs me is like the, the smart person who doesn't use contractions, which I'm fine with, but it's been done so much. And I know a lot of smart people, and they use more contractions, uh, because they want to speak faster and get more ideas across. 
And so it's uh, it's one of these things that we do in fiction that isn't that realistic. And plus, it's been overdone. And so I, I try to tell people, search for what this character does themselves that's interesting, not just kind of parroting back what you've seen in fiction before. I think one of the other things, you know, what this character does that is specific that, that you mentioned when you were talking about the small town that your character is from is that that a lot of times when we're trying to come up with a character voice, we're like, ooh, what would be an interesting voice? What would be cool quirks? We don't think about where it comes from. Like, mm-hmm. this is why people will tell you to figure out what your character's backstory is and what their history is and who their family is. It's not so that you can fill out a spreadsheet. It's so that when you are writing voice, you have thought about what their background is. And we will do an entire episode on character Character backstory. backstory. The the book that I'm writing right now, I've got a teenage girl who I decided on a whim, essentially, that she was going to be very good at math and that her, you know, her good subject would be math and her bad subject would be English, just to give some texture to the, all the school scenes. And I realized as I was writing that that meant that her word choice would be much different than my typical character word choice. Yeah. And so that has forced me to use different words, to use a, a whole different vocabulary, which has helped define her character much more clearly as well. So I... Um this is a sentence I'm about to just really enjoy saying. I've been hanging out with a lot of astronauts recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, That's the merry voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see, feel, see me flip my hair. I've been hanging is out with a lot of astronauts. Before or after you were on Sesame Street? Uh, that was after Sesame yeah. Street. <laughs> Actually, if you want to impress an astronaut, you tell them you were on Sesame Street. It's kind of fun. Um, anyway... Uh, the point being, we were having a conversation um, about uh, staying up too late at night and, you know, getting uh, on the internet. And and he said, yeah, that's a, you know, I really just got sucked down the gravity well. And I'm like, ha, huh. because I say, and I said, that is such astronaut jargon out loud, actually, to him. Like, uh, because I, I would say, I fell down the rabbit hole. And he's like, that's so literary. And it's that kind of thing. You know, what your character gets excited about and the Mm -hmm. jargon that they use in their day-to-day life is going to be really different. Yeah. And and word choice like that is so powerful and so much more powerful, I think, than trying to add an accent, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, is, I think, the wrong way in most cases to go about character voice. Uh, I'm reading a book right now, um, in my writing group, so it isn't even published yet. Uh, the author is, is Wendy Tolliver, and it is a middle grade about a girl in Kentucky and at one point used the word filling station instead of gas station. And just that one word choice was so perfect mm-hmm. for the scene and for the character and for the place um, that, you know, figuring out those little words, I think, can, can add so much. Let's break for our book of the week, which, Dan, you're going to tell us about. Yes. Okay, so our book of the week is Defy the Stars by Claudia Gray. It is a space opera about a girl who is a fighter pilot who ends up with uh, a, an android that uh, she, the, the two of them are going around trying to save the universe, basically. And what's fascinating about it, and the reason I wanted to do it this week, is that every other chapter is from one of their points of view. So you'll get the girl and the android and the girl and the android. And so not only do you have some beautiful kind of dramatic irony as each of them describes the other one in a, in a very particular way, uh, but you also get a fantastic difference between their voices. This very kind of hot-headed, emotional uh, girl, and then the kind of 
almost but not quite unemotional android who's coming from his own very different background and his very different mindset. Uh, and she does a fantastic job with character voice in this. Excellent. And that's Defy the Stars? Defy the Stars. has a really awesome cover. It does. I really like the cover. I haven't read the book, but the cover is <laughs> It's <amazing>. a great <laughs> book. Claudia is one of my favorite uh, YA authors, and this one is Oh, yeah, wonderful. she's splendid. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, one of the things I've noticed that's an interesting thing to do in fiction is to have a really distinctive voice for a narrator. You see this a lot in Omniscient, but sometimes you see it in books where somebody is, there's an active storyteller telling the story, and then the characters all have their own distinctive voices. You do a little bit of this, Howard, uh, in Sherlock Mercenary. Um, any tips? What do you gain by doing that? How do you characterize through the lens when there's somebody in between you and the story in some ways? Um, well, there has, to be, there has to be some sort of rule set for you. Uh, for some of the Schlock Mercenary books, I've decided that I'm not going to allow the narrator to deliberately tell a joke. The narr- narrator is allowed to word things in ways that might be funny, and there can be irony in the way things are worded, but the narrator is not going to make a pun. Hmm. The narrator is not going to deliver a reveal as a punchline deliberately. The panels may have it as a punchline, right. but the narrator isn't the one who's telling the joke. And making that decision um, means that the narrator actually gets funnier in one sense because it's it's drier. It's more descriptive so when there's a reveal that is a punchline, if there's narration, you know, just before it or on it, you then have the juxtaposition between incredibly dry and incredibly traumatic. Um, I didn't realize that that was what was going to happen when I made the decision. Um, but when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, so yeah, I, I start with a rule set. I also try to make sure that uh, if the narrator is omniscient, and in Schlock Mercenary, the narrator is omniscient, um, there is a clear distinction between what the narrator is telling you because you really need to know it for the story and what the narrator isn't telling you because we want the story to unfold. You know, the narrator knows exactly what star system we're in. The narrator knows exactly why this thing exploded. He's going to tell you that we're in this star system, but then you're going to watch the explosion and the narrator's not going to reveal any more information. Um, and that, I mean, that sounds, that sounds like a no-brainer, but you have to have that rule. What is the narrator able to reveal and what is the narrator allowed to hide? And I, it sounds like a no-brainer because when you read comics, you so rarely run up against a situation where you feel like, oh, the narrator shouldn't have told me that. I should have watched that happen. Um, one of the best examples of narrators breaking rules is the Deadpool comics, where Deadpool argues with his narrator, breaking the fourth wall. And it's funny for that reason, but it doesn't work anywhere else because it's such a signature style. Sorry, that was long. No, that's great. No, right. That's yeah. exactly what we needed. Um, though I've been thinking about something else, and I want to actually throw this one at Dan. Um so a lot of YA fiction mm-hmm. uses a very similar voice. And the voice is spunky, sarcastic teen who would not necessarily say these things out loud, but in narrative is cracking jokes every other paragraph. Yes. Um, can this still be done in an original way? I mean, 
why is it so common? What what is it about that? That is voice? my teenage experience. Mm. <laughs> yes, that is exactly why it's so common. Um, it's because that is how a lot of teenagers either are or aspire to be or think mm-hmm. of themselves. You know, I am the smart one who is also the funny one. Um, and so doing a narrator that way makes it so you like that narrator more because you either identify with them or you want to be friends with them, um, which makes this whole thing sound very mercenary. But it is kind of a trick to basically just put in and say, this will smooth the transition between your brain and the narrator's brain because you're kind of speaking the same language. Um, I think the it, it does feel overdone. And where it works best is where that voice becomes very particular. You know, and I think this is one of the truisms of writing that we talk about a lot is that the more personalized you can make something, the truer it will feel and the and the the more accessible it will become. And so if it's just a generically snarky narrator, then okay, I've read plenty of generically snarky narrators. But if it is snarky in a very particular way or in a very particular style, then that will set it apart from the rest. And you say, oh, this is still the the texture that I like, but I've never read this voice before. Right. I think part of the reason for this also is it just is eminently readable. If you're mm-hmm. chuckling, like that, that's, this is what voice can do for you. If you're chuckling while you read a description or, you know, feeling some other emotion while you read the description that would in some books be the boring dry stuff you would want to skip past, but here you lap it up. That's what voice, character voice in specific can do. Um, is it can let your descriptions, it can let your action beats also be characterization. I I also suspect to a certain degree that one of the things that that, that happens um, is because our own internal voice is all of the stuff that we don't say out loud. Right. So... Like, if you have a thought about Wait, how- what? <laughs> right. You think things you don't say? <laughs> you have a point. Okay. Everyone except Howard. <laughs> no, it, but it, it's- So I think that a lot of times the- The, oh, the, oh right. Mm-hmm. Is, is a running monologue that we have in our heads. It's a universality. Even, yes, mm-hmm. even as adults. Whereas the things that you say out loud, the compliments and things like that, those have been- uh, those have been cleaned up and tailored right. and the are other not universality, And I think it's the reason why a plays so well with this snarky voice is the five minutes later sentiment of, oh, that's what I, I should have said. said. Yes. Right. That's mm-hmm. what I should have said. Well, yeah. And I was thinking about that and realizing I don't have that. I don't have that happen to me as much because I spend more time listening and thinking waiting for the really good ones. <laughs> and I've had 50 years of practice. Um, <laughs> And the things that, oh, that's what I should have said are usually so terrible that I didn't utter them. Okay, so a pitfall, since we're talking about the snarky narrator, um, one specific branch of snarky narrator that has become, in my opinion, an overwhelming cliche in modern media is the brilliant Mm a-hole, right? Mm. Um, And I, which in many ways is just the modern power fantasy, right? I can be as big a jerk as I want, but you still have to listen to me because I'm right. Um, and you can see this, you know, it started with house, I guess is really when, when it took off, but it's everywhere now. And so you need to be careful how snarky you are and and what kind of snarky you are. See a snarky narrator who's, if, you know, for instance, if we're, if we're talking about YA, who thinks about the things in front of her 
in terms of the games she's been playing, uh, especially the games she doesn't like. The snark will often be pop culture snark about stuff we are familiar with, not necessarily making fun of the things that are in front of her, but making fun of other things. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I want to talk about with um, is to actually talk about some practical things. When we're talking about uh, snarky stuff, um, one of the things that you can look at is uh, is something called the area of intention, um, or the uh, I learned about it from Jane Espenson as the joke area, and this is uh, what function it is serving in the the story. Um, there are two reasons that a character is going to say something in voice. Uh, well, I mean, just in general, one is the reason that you, the author, need them to say it, and the other is the reason that the character needs to say it. And sometimes it's, I want to try to be clever. One of the things that will happen when this this snarky voice misfires is when your reason for putting it in is, I want a joke here. And that is your only reason. And the same thing happens when, uh, you know, in real life, when someone is making a joke just to make a joke, and it's not funny. You know, the, uh, the John Scalzi's maximum, the, uh, the failure mode of clever is asshole, will happen to your, your narrator uh, by, uh, by, by putting in things just to be funny without thinking about what the rest of the area of intention, what, it, what function it's serving. So that's one thing is to making sure that, uh, that you think about the area of intention and what you were trying to accomplish on both levels, why you were trying to do it and why the, narr- the, the narrator is. The other thing is to look for these areas. Um, uh, the, the two kind of metrics that I use are looking at emphasis and ambiguity. Um, that when you want it to be clear how a character feels about something, uh, that that's one of the places that you're going to kind of increase the volume of their voice by bringing out the snark, by bringing out or or by bringing out their meekness, or by bringing out whatever tra- trait it is. If you want to to uh, to really make it clear if it's, uh, if, if, you know, you could go, do they like Brussels sprouts or not? I'm not sure. That's a place where you'd, you'd want to dial up the narrator voice a little bit. Um, likewise, if you, if it is an important plot point, that's a point where you're going to want to add some emphasis to it, where again, you're going to want to dial up the volume of the narrator voice. Otherwise you may want to actually keep it fairly neutral. I mean, most of the time when we are speaking, there's a lot of stuff in between our marker, our individual marker bits that could actually belong in anyone's mouth. Let's go ahead and call it there. Mary, you have our homework. Yes. Um, what I want you to do is uh, take a section of text that you have already written. Okay, so this is, this is a default. Preferably something that you, you wrote in, in more or less neutral voice. And I want you to rewrite that scene I want you to rewrite it with three different characters. One of them is 80 years old. One of them is 12. And one of them is from a foreign country. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.